Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. Infoblox is the leading provider of cloud first DDI and security services, built on cloud native microservices that scale infinitely. The company simplifies and secures networking for hybrid and multi cloud environments. It has over 12,000 customers, including more than 70% of the Fortune 500. Hey, everyone. Another podcast, another interview with someone who I am really looking forward to because I don't know a lot about the concept of DDI, but it sounds like something I should know. And Anthony James, the Vice President of Product Marketing for Infoblox is going to help me understand this better and how it plays a role in what we can think of as the secure cloud. So for me, as a little bit uninitiated, I did some research on this. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is DDI in your own words? That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, ironically, everyone listening to this or, or connected to the internet is using two of those uh, letters, DD, out of DDI. Uh, it's DNS and DHCP are the two main elements. And then I just stands for IP address management, which is a, a database. In essence, basically think about it, the way we, we think about it is, it's the basic foundational elements for anyone to connect both to a network and then from the network outside the network to places like the internet. Um, the way I like to, to position it to, to people is, think about going to an amusement park. You know, your, your DHCP is your ticket in to the park. And then your DNS is the map around the park. And that's really what it is. So what we've done is we've collapsed those two core pieces that every network needs, DHCP and DNS, and put it into a single platform for for enterprises to be able to control where uh, IP addresses are assigned, how they're managed, network creation and movement, and then control their own DNS so that they can have better control over their traffic. And the I is the IPAM, which stands for IP Address Management. It's really just a repository of every device that gets an IP address let's put it in a database so we can track who owns that device and where it is. So in case we need to track it down for whatever reason. What happens when they're separated? What happens if you don't, if you don't have them converged? Great question. That's what I would say a lot of um, listeners and customers are dealing with uh, when they build a network. Uh, What what usually happens is people take the services for granted, meaning uh, let's say if you're a Microsoft shop, you'll put in a Microsoft server, you'll put in Active Directory for your authentication, and you'll just inherently turn on uh, DNS and DHCP, or you'll have a firewall providing uh, DHCP and Active Directory providing DNS. That's a common way to implement those services. But what you ask is, what's the challenge with that? There's no coordination. Um, so when you, let's, let's take it into a different realm of discussion. If you have a security incident that you get notified an IP address has been maybe attacked or went to a malicious website, now you've got to go and look at all those different services, the, the DNS log, the DHCP log that are now on two different infrastructures or two different sets of um, infrastructure. It's hard to figure that out. 
when you collapse it, now every time you need to know, I've got an IP address, I want to know more about it, it's inherently there because the DHCP data is co-resident with the DNS data. I now know who the device is, who owns it, where did they go on the internet, what's, what networks do they connect with, and it's all uh, right there. But when you separate it out, it's really tough and manual correlation is a very difficult thing. Hmm. That's how it's been done, isn't it? Absolutely. So one of the things that you find, I think, in when you're modernizing networks, right, you're thinking of not just a on-premise infrastructure, you're thinking of a cloud service, you're thinking of really services and software on very fast and distributed infrastructure. Yep. And so your vocabulary changes, the requirements change, all these things change. So that makes the automation more important, I would expect. Absolutely. What are the challenges, though, that come with that, that you're seeing DevOps teams in particular trying to battle? Yeah, you're bringing up the, 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 the core elements, right? So when, when you think about modernizing a network, let's just go from you started out with a network you built to support a small user community. Again, you probably had Microsoft Active Directory, you had a firewall, everything was kind of easy. Yeah, manual. So, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with that on a manual basis, but there's a small user community. As that network grows, that burden just becomes more and more. And so now I'm having to deal with a larger user population. I'm having to understand these IP addresses that are being assigned. and Where are they? Who owns it? And then you throw in modernization. And, and we know that the adoption of not just cloud services and applications, but cloud platforms. And as you talk about the the DevOps teams are the teams that are now building out these infrastructures on these, these diverse sets of, of kind of containerized platforms, whether you're doing it in-house using your own containerized infrastructure, or like most customers, they're adopting these outside services because who needs to build another server platform to run containers when I can just go and put a credit card in and, and grab Amazon or Microsoft or whomever. What that tends to, to cause is this conflation of, of challenges around, hey, I used to deal with you know, maybe a couple thousand IP addresses. That was manageable, difficult, but manageable. Now I have hundreds of thousands of assets and IP addresses and all these things because containers now exacerbated the amount of elements you have to deal with. We went from having a single server to maybe a virtual server to now a containerized set of applications. Um, so now as a, as a network operations team, the struggle becomes when something goes a little haywire, like when an application is having performance challenges or partial network brownouts, how do you identify which part is causing the issue without having a converged set of data around, I know all the IP addresses that are assigned, I know what they're assigned to, I know what all the applications are in that that idea of that DDI, you know, concentrated DDI infrastructure versus I got Microsoft, I've got Amazon, I've, I've got a firewall down here. They're all got their own IP address assignment challenges. DNS is fragmented. And now when there's a, an application that's causing me some kind of network issues, I don't know how to get to it. And I'm going to spend the next day, week, month troubleshooting that. That's the concern that having these fragmented systems not coordinated is, is causing for a lot of these modernization efforts. Hmm. Well, Kubernetes is a network in essence, right? Yeah. It's one of the complexities of Kubernetes. That it doesn't have a kind of common interface to it, but networks usually don't, do they? No. 
And so does it solve these problems of like the dynamic IP addresses and the, you know, they have the whole kind of methodology of clusters and, you know, and pods and nodes and namespaces. Does that help solve the issue? It does in a way. It's a step forward. That's how I look at it. Like there's always a step forward. When you ever adopt new technology, there's some kind of challenge and then there's a step forward to try and alleviate that challenge. So Kubernetes is a, is a great platform. If you are a network where all you have is containers, that's all you have. And let's say you have no users connected to the network, no devices, whether they're IoT or printers or servers. If you're just a containerized infrastructure, Kubernetes is a great solution because it does give you that consolidation. It gives you, it's going to manage containers, hundreds or thousands of them. It's going to manage the, contain, the communications within a pod of containers. And it's going to manage the communications of pod to pod. So if you've got clusters and clusters and clusters of containers for different types of applications, it will give you that ability inside that containerized infrastructure to, to simplify that management that becomes really complex. Well, I don't know a lot of networks that are purely just containers. Right. <laughs> so now you have, you know, for a network operations team, Kubernetes is the right step forward if that's what you are focused on. But if you take a step back and now I've got, if I'm a real enterprise network where containers are my application infrastructure, but I've got switches, routers, users, they've got laptops, they've got IoT device. Now I'm, I'm taking a look at this entire infrastructure and saying, okay, Kubernetes can solve this little challenge over here, but that's not going to give me the entire viewpoint of where everything is. And so that's where something like DDI, you can kind of start to say, well, why don't we put a hook into Kubernetes, let that feed the rest of this, this larger infrastructure and have one consolidated viewpoint of everything, including the containers. But Kubernetes is a great step forward if that's the focus you're trying to solve. So that's really the core service you provide InfoBlocks, isn't it? That hook. Right. So tell me about, yeah, tell me about that. I'd like to know more about what it is that you offer in particular the cloud native uh, community. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we realized um, many years ago, so we, we're a 20 year old company. We started building out this DDI concept for enterprises knowing full well they were adding servers and adding users and just trying to, trying to manage the complexity of figuring out where IP addresses go and DNS is managed. And then you, you throw in containerization. Now it just, it just caused this, this really big you know, explosion of, of issues to deal with. So what we, we realized early on is look, as, as networks become more virtual on the application side, starting with virtualization, we said, Look, we have this DDI platform that consolidates all the, all the infrastructure basics into one platform. Let's hook into these emerging technologies. So we first went with virtualization. We're able to bring that back into a single console. So you can see where all your virtual servers are and so forth. Then we realized that, hey, we really need to do that for containers because that's another explosive area of, of things and not being able to get that few full vantage points. So we have a hook into things like Kubernetes where its inventory can be pulled back into one centralized set of data and one console. So you can see your containers, your virtual, your physical, your cloud, and know where everything is at all times. So how have you had to adapt your own architecture to the new cloud native community and cloud native capabilities that are available? Yeah, so we, we've done a couple of things. One is we, 
we realized that, that cloud native is the only way you can truly scale an infrastructure. Uh, if we go back, you know, back in time, there was this idea of lifting and shifting applications where you just took a virtual server and you put it on a virtual server in the cloud, didn't scale because then you had to spin up multiple instances. We've seen that, we've, we've lived that, that uh, challenge. So we realized, and, and with the advent of cloud native, we realized that that, that structure, that, that true cloud native structure allows applications to grow and scale at, at the sp size and speed of business, where if you're having to add tens of users, thousands of users, uh, more, more capacity, you can let that scale and, and live and breathe with that, that demand. And so what we did, a couple of things, we did the integration on the cloud native platform saying, look, as, as people are building out these cloud native applications, we want to bring it back into a, a manageable infrastructure with DDI. And then we ourselves build our own cloud infrastructure to be able to take that DDI and say, look, it's just not on the enterprise. People are, are, are working in remote locations, working from home, remote branch offices, want to take advantage of this and they can't just keep putting platforms everywhere. So we build a cloud native service that delivers DDI and security that scales with that, our, our customer's infrastructure. So if you have tens of locations, thousands of locations, it doesn't matter. Our service will scale to support that as well using the same cloud native principles. So you have a cloud native server. We have a cloud native service uh, that has two primary applications. So think about it. We have a DDI solution that can be delivered on premise. Right. We said, let's take that DDI solution and put it as a cloud offering and build that on a cloud native architecture. And so we can then hook into customers that are spread all over the world and scale as they need. So now they have a choice. They can say, look, I only have you know, an office, a data center, let me put your DDI in there and I'll do my own containerized stuff and just give me the hooks. Or I have a very diverse infrastructure that's global in nature. I've got people all over the place. I still want to have that single centralized point of view, but I want it in a cloud hybrid offering. And so we have a cloud native solution that is still DDI, but it kind of sits in the cloud and then plugs into the customer's locations when they need to. So... Let's say you're, you know, you're running services and software on, you know, on-prem, you are dealing with multiple cloud services, you know, how do you resolve those kinds of issues with DDI and what's, and how it's modernizing? That's, that's a great, great question. That's actually, in essence, what DDI is designed to do. Um, let's take a, I'll give you a quick example of not using DDI. Let's say you have a data center, you've got Kubernetes, you've got Amazon, and you might have Microsoft or Google Cloud as different platforms that you're now spinning up services and applications in. Without us, you have uh, a console from Amazon that's going to be your DNS and DHCP management. You've got one from Microsoft, one from Google. You've got your on-premise, maybe Microsoft server, or maybe your firewall, and you've got Kubernetes. Without DDI, you are bouncing between consoles to understand where IP addresses are assigned, when an application has an issue, how to get to it, and now you're bouncing all the time. What we do is we give you that centralized point of view of those foundational services with hooks into every one of those types of environments. So you can say, I want to have a single central point of view of every IP address that's assigned, including my containers on-prem, my cloud containers, my cloud virtual servers, my data center, my remote locations, and I want to be able to manage that centrally. So I want, to be, I want to be able to decide what IP addresses and networks are assigned where. And then I want to be able to pull that into a database that I know if there's a, 
an IP address that says I got a server down, I know exactly where that is. I know that's sitting in Google. I know that's sitting in a service, in a container. Let me go fix that. But you only get that if you have a single centralized point of view with hooks into all those modernized environments. So when you are thinking about the world that we're in right now Mm -hmm. and the challenges that DevOps teams face, what is it that is primary concern for people running networks that you're, that you're seeing or who are not familiar with networks? And often what we're seeing are more people who have not traditionally been networking engineers, have moved into responsibilities where they do more configurations, yep. uh, where, they're more, where they have more responsibilities for policy. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? What are you hearing from them? Yeah, that's a that's a great question in the 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 world of today, right? We we have seen the idea of the application development environment now bleed so heavily into networking because if you take a step back, we never cared, right? I come from a development background. If you build an if you build an application, you put it on a on a server and network team go plug it in and make it work. Now it's so intricately intertwined with the network services and the security services. So if you came from a policy background or an application background and you're kind of thrust into this DevOps world, it's, it's sh- showing that you need to start thinking about, I'm not just going to build an application. I need to build an application that can support scalability on the network. It can have resiliency. It can have some kind of failover. And it has to have security kind of inherently built in because we've realized uh, especially recently, security can no longer be a bolt-on. You can't just say, I'm going to put in this application service. I'm going to make it cloud native and security will figure it out later. I think where we're seeing a lot of overlap is the, the DevOps teams and the SecOps teams, which is the security operations, are starting to, to bleed into each other's worlds. So they're having to learn um, not just how an application works, but how does the network interact with that application? How do I scale that? How do I scale that remotely um, with this idea of I'm not backhauling over a single lease line anymore. I'm going through these breakouts everywhere and I need to make it cloud ready. And then I need to have security that will somehow be laced intertwined with all of these different services. So that's where I'm seeing a lot of the need for additional training or, or knowledge about how to make the application talk to the network and have security inherently built in. So I haven't asked you about the core architecture behind InfoBlocks. I'm curious about it. You know, what are its, what is its origins and how has it evolved and, you know, what's next for it? I'll give you the, the, the Reader's Digest version of our history. We, we came out uh, 20 years ago with a platform that just simplified IP address management for enterprises who were struggling with these hundreds or maybe thousands of, of IP addresses and how to manage it. Because the last thing you want is two different devices having the same IP address because they'll both be taken offline. That's a challenge when you have servers and, and executives, right? So we fixed that problem 20 years ago and we provided this, this DHCP solution. We realized then with internet connectivity, DNS needs to be managed as well because you have internal assets and you have external assets and you need to be able to coordinate how the traffic is flowing. So we built the combined DHCP and DNS and we did that on a physical appliance and we were were very successful selling that for the first decade of our path. We then realized that security needs to be embedded in the traffic flow. 
Of course, there are firewalls. Of course, there are proxies. Of course, there are other security tools. Not to say you replace that, but you supplement that with, if I'm using DNS as a tool to provide connectivity to my rest of my network and to the internet, I can also use DNS as a control point to say that location you're trying to get to is malicious. Don't let the, the user or, or application or device go there. So we started bundling in security as a foundational element. Fast forward to you know, maybe our 15 year mark, again, tremendous success through that, that world. We've realized we, we need to offer a cloud solution because people were so focused on, I've got to have my network scale. And just stacking appliances we've known for decades is not the right way to do it. It solves some challenges for some environments. So that's not going away anytime soon. But we've started to embrace cloud for everything, for applications, for platforms, for environments to build applications in. So we built a cloud solution to augment our on-premise solution and provide hybrid capabilities for a lot of customers. And that's where we We've been, and we're headed to, we've got this cloud native platform with our, our DDI solution, our security solution, and we're going to keep adding applications for the, the core of the network services to let customers expand their reach. So are you leveraging like the CNI, the container networking interface, or you know, or what are some of the other open source projects that you engage in through your cloud native approach? Yeah, so we, we follow all the core principles and we provide a lot of input to the community. So we interface with, uh, if you think of a containerized infrastructure, any of the, the open source uh, project, OpenStack, OpenShift, uh, of course, the, the commercial Kubernetes and things like that. So we integrate with all those architectures. Um, we also, as a, as a uh, support of the community, we helped uh, kick off the initiative of Core DNS, which is another application DNS interface for things like Kubernetes to have a, a centralized DNS architecture. And so we've been a, a huge contributor to that. And we're going to continue to help drive um, integrations across all the different containerized application services to make sure that whatever you decide to take on, you can bring back to a centralized management and visibility point of view. What does core DNS provide as a value uh, for people who are managing their DDI and security cloud first environment? Yeah, it's, um, it's a way for you to customize your DNS architecture. So if you think about um, just building a network and just using whatever DNS you get from your service provider, they kind of control your traffic in, in, in essence. So they are providing DNS to you and then you're just letting whatever your outbound requests go to, let them figure out how to get it there and how to route the traffic. Taking control of your DNS gives you a lot more flexibility of how you want to resolve and which pathways you want to take to get to certain services. And you can start putting in block lists if you think that there are certain things on the internet users shouldn't be able to get to and you know you can start feeding it malicious uh, sites that you want to block. So Taking control of DNS is something every enterprise should really think about. In fact, Gartner just produced a report, uh, I think it was last month, to say that the enterprise DNS and using that as a, as a security control point is something that every enterprise should do. But core DNS is a way to say, well, I'm doing a cloud native infrastructure. I'm building out a containerized set of infrastructure. I want to control the DNS that those containers have access to. So I'm going to use core DNS. If you're not using an enterprise grade DNS or DDI like us, you can just take a core DNS approach, which is an open source ability to give you control and let you manage your own DNS traffic flows. I think in conclusion, I would love to just ask about how you see control planes developing and emerging 
you know, with cloud native architectures in mind, you know, the internet is just becoming more programmable by the day. Yeah. And it's, and it's programming itself in all kinds of ways. We see it, you know, on devices and things that we don't really traditionally associate as devices, but they increasingly are. Yep. Uh, we're seeing servers and fast food restaurants uh, that are kind of acting as nodes and all kinds of other ways that, you know, things are becoming more programmable. What network challenges does that face for you? And what does that mean for the future of DDI? Well, I think it's good. I think um, giving the ability to have more control of the traffic and having you as an enterprise or a user be able to define how you want your traffic handled is, is the right way to go. What we see and, and what we're building on is that ability is, for example, if you're an enterprise where you have, let's say, a group of devices that are IoT, you want to be able to make sure that their traffic isn't being sent to networks that shouldn't be, meaning if they're compromised, they might be sending data off, off net to uh, overseas or some other community that that's not supposed to be. You want to be able to program the traffic flow. So because at the end of the day, that device, uh, let's take a thermostat, that device should only talk to the thermostat management control plane, which is probably some cloud service that provided that thermostat architecture. And any communication outside of that, you know, is wrong. So you want to be able to control that. Secondarily, if you have, let's say, an executive team, you want to be able to control their traffic to say, okay, I'm going to send you to the internet, but maybe I have an internet uh, security solution that I'm subscribing to. I want to be able to route that traffic through there and not just have it go directly to the internet and go wherever you, you want to go, have it processed first. So I think what DDI gives you is a foundation for visibility and control to be able to make those decisions with a much better context of who the user is, what the device is, what it should be doing and where it should be going and make those things automated versus having to manually sift through data and then make policy decisions on firewalls and routers. What we give you, what DDI gives you, I think is this interface to say, well, we know who the device is. We know what the device is because we provided the IP address. And by virtue of that, we interrogated and we found out, oh, it's an IoT device. Uh, it's a thermostat and we know what vendor. So the only communications that this device should have is to this vendor's control uh, management server. And we can help you automate the control of that traffic as things become more programmable versus let it go and, and do its own thing and hope that you're getting the right results. I think having that in-house control and visibility is going to give you a much better experience. How do you make that all just part of the workflow for the people who are managing the network? So it's just a natural for them. I've heard people talking lately about that, you know, they call it the slipstream effect. You just slip it in and just becomes part of that stream. Mm -hmm. Um. That's one of the things that we do a lot of R&D on. Um, so I talked about, we can tell you what the device is and, and what vendor it is. That's done by a tremendous amount of research. And, and the, uh, the, the real magic behind this, it's just done through a single packet exchange using DHCP. Like every device comes online and says, I want an IP address. We have figured out when that request comes in as the DHCP server, we know without even asking the device, what type of device it is, what operating system it's running, who the vendor is, and be able to provide based on our DNS historical data, how the communication should flow. So we are trying to automate that as much as possible 
there will always be some oversight. I think too much automation can be a problem because you might get some wrong automation that takes things offline. That slipstream, I think, is a great term. We're trying to slipstream things for customers, give them some oversight to make corrections if they need to, but just make it as part of the standard operating procedure for any infrastructure. Hmm. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I've been talking with Anthony James, Vice President of Product Marketing at Infoblox. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Infoblox is the leading provider of cloud-first DDI and security services, built on cloud-native microservices that scale infinitely. The company simplifies and secures networking for hybrid and multi-cloud environments. It has over 12,000 customers, including more than 70% of the Fortune 500. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on Simplecast to listen to more episodes on the new stack makers. Create and share your favorite audiogram using our Simplecast player. For more articles and great stories, go to the newstack.io.